I want to give you some history. Everybody go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4 is the last chapter of the Old Testament, and it's also the last book written in the Old Testament. If you ever want to have a fun time, find the chronological order of your Old Testament. You'll realize that generally the chronological order of your Bible ends after 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And then all of those other prophets and all of those other books actually are written during the time of Kings and Chronicles. So you're thinking when you're reading Isaiah, it's way after the book of Kings. But Isaiah is actually taking place in the book of 2 Kings. So if you have some time or you need me to email that to you, it's pretty neat. The chronological order of the Bible... But in this instance, the last book is actually the last book. Malachi came after the captivity of Israel. They were coming from Babylon back to their homeland. And Malachi talks about the tithe, and he says that they need to come back to God. But look at chapter 4, verse 1. Look at this right here. Here's a prophecy after he talks about the tithe, and he rebukes them for not living for the Lord. Look at Malachi 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. Uh Uh-oh. That's some tough preaching right there, isn't it? Man, if you cannot fear God after reading a statement like that, I do not know what's in your heart. The Bible says a day will come where it will burn like a furnace, and the arrogant and evildoers will be what it burns. It will be the stubble. And on that day, uh, in that day that is coming, we'll, they will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who will revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. How many want the Son of Righteousness? How about the S-O-N, Son of Righteousness? Amen? We sang a song in Bible college. The sun is always shining. Ooh. The sun is always shining. The sun is always shining above the clouds. And even though it's raining, or if the snow is falling, the sun is always shining above the clouds. Come on, think. No, I'm just kidding. But you know why we used to sing that? Because the S-O-N sun is like this sun. How many know in Chicago when we have an overcast day, it's like, man, where is the sun? Okay, I used to live in New Orleans, and when I would come back for Thanksgiving break, you'd be, you know, 30,000 feet up in the air, bright, sunny, blue skies, and then like we're landing in Indianapolis, and it's just like cloud cover, thick, dense fog, and it's like we land, it's like you can't see the sun. You're looking at me crazy. Don't be jealous because I lived in the South, okay? It's all right. I'm here now, okay? So anyways, you would come down, and then you would just be like, man, where is the sun? I got used to, in January, on my birthday, going fishing, going swimming, these types of things. Are you all with me? And when we were in Bible college, he wrote a song. My president, because one time he was coming from a place, and it was so cloudy and stormy, but when he got up above the clouds, the sun was bright and shining. And he realized that day that, you know what, no matter what's going on in my life, the sun is always shining. And so even in Chicago, when you see those days where it's like, man, where's the sun? You know what? About 20,000 feet up there, that sun is shining bright. God is still in control. And what is the promise right here? There's going to come fire upon the earth. There's going to be a time where those who live for evil are going to be the, the wood. They're going to be the stubble. But those who live for God will revere His name. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wing. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Would you all stand up with me, please? We are going to leap like calves released from the stall today. Let's get a drummer up here. Come on, let's get a drummer. Yes, quickly. I want you to give me a square dancing beat. 
And I want everybody here to do see do and to leap with somebody. See, come on up here, Eddie Burrow. This is what I want you to find somebody to do, to do it with, okay? So when he gives us to be spacious way, grab your partner, you're going to leap. Okay? Now one, two, three, leap like calves. Find somebody, everybody. Find somebody else. Yes. 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 Like calves. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, come on. No, you have to. Oh, you can't bad me. Okay, okay. Okay, give me another hand clap. Come on. You're so crazy, man. You're crazy. Crazy for the Lord. See, if you ever read that scripture and it says, You will leap like a calf, like a cow released from the barn. Now you know what that looks like. That's what it looks like. Okay, catching my breath. Verse 3. Then you will trample down the wicked. We're not going to do that today. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Now here it is. Look at this. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before. Everybody say before. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, who do you think John the Baptist was? John the Baptist is that one coming in the power of Elijah. And you know how much time passed by between these last words of Malachi to when you see John come on the scene to Matthew chapter 1 and just turn there with me, Matthew 1, 400 years. And you know what we call that time? The intertestamental times. Everybody say, the intertestamental times. One more time, the intertestamental times. 400 years. And you know what happened during this 400 years? Greece took over Israel. After Greece, with uh, Babylon, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Alexander the Great taking over Israel, then Syria and Egypt took over Israel. Then after those guys came the Romans, and a little group right in the middle called the Maccabees, and they have this in the Catholic Bible, and we don't reject the Maccabee books as historical. We think they're great. We just don't think they're biblical. Are you with me? So if you ever wonder why do the Catholics have the Maccabees in their Bible, and we don't, we still recognize it as history. We just don't call it Bible. Everybody understand? But a little time period, almost right in the middle of that 400 years, here come these Maccabees, and they were revolutionaries. And you know what they were trying to do? They were trying to set Israel free from their oppressors, from the Egyptians, from the the Grecians, from the Romans. And they were fighting and doing battle. And they set up a dynasty called the Hasmonean dynasty. And during this time, you know what they thought? If we fight and we bring holy war, God will come and trample the enemies. But they forgot one thing, didn't they? They forgot in Malachi that before the Lord comes and tramples down the enemies and we leap like calves out of a stall, before that would happen, Elijah would come and turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. So now you're in Matthew chapter 1. Look at who comes on the scene. John the Baptist. And let's learn a little bit about John the Baptist and where he comes from. Start uh, rather in John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3. Look at 3. It says, In those days, starting in verse 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
Well, where did John the Baptist come from? All of a sudden, he's preaching. It's been 400 years in Israel since there was a prophet. Now this man comes, come, he comes preaching. Well, go with me now to Luke. And I want you to see the story of John the Baptist and where he came from and why it was so important. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 tells the story of John the Baptist being born. Now, some of you know the Christmas story of Jesus being born, but did you know that also John the Baptist has a very special birth, that his parents were old in age? Now, he doesn't have a virgin birth. Obviously, that's only one person in all humanity. But John the Baptist's parents were really old, 80 years old, we don't know, but super old. They couldn't have children. The wife had already gone through menopause. She couldn't even bear a child. Are you listening? And God comes to him, and look at verse 5. It comes to the husband. In the time of King Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along with years. Now, verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So here's Zechariah, he's a priest, he's married to Elizabeth, they're long in years, have no children, he's doing his duty, he's lighting the incense, he's praying. Look what happens, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. See, there you learn right there. And what does the name John mean? The Lord hears. That's what his name means. The Lord hears. So he hears his prayer. An angel says, You're going to have a son. Verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now here's his regulations. He must never take wine or any fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. So he can't even drink grape juice. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of whom? Elijah, and you remember reading Malachi, that God said, Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, here I'll send Elijah. Now the angel is saying, This son is going to be Elijah. And it says, To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Isn't that what we read in Malachi? There you go. To turn their hearts back to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Come on, somebody say, Get prepared. So what can we learn here from John the Baptist that he was called to prepare the first coming of the Lord? I just read to you at the introduction that Jesus said there was nobody greater born to a woman other than John the Baptist. Why do you think John the Baptist was so great? Well, now knowing a little bit of history, you can figure it out. While the Jewish people were getting into all their traditions, while the revolutionaries were trying to fight the Romans, God gave them 400 years of silence and said, I'm not showing up again until I come in the flesh. I'm not giving you any more prophets. I'm not giving you any more scriptures. I'm not showing my glory. And here's that time of silence. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist. Why does he come? Because he comes to prepare the way for Jesus. That's why there's nobody greater than him. Who can say, I prepared the way for Jesus? 
Can anybody in the whole planet say, you know what? I was sent here to make ready a place for Jesus. Not at that time and never again. Now, the, 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 the application is the second coming. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get too ahead of myself here. But the first thing that you need to learn is why was John the Baptist's life so significant? Significant Because he was called to set the prepare, preparation for the path of God. Everybody say prepare. So point number one, John the Baptist was a forerunner. He was a man set to prepare. Now, if you go through, Zechariah actually doesn't believe the angel. He gets cursed with being mute. He can't speak until the child is born. Now go on down to verse uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one in your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he wanted to name the child. He asked with the right, for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Look at verse 54, 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he began to praise God. And this is how John the Baptist is born. Now, go with me over to the book of Mark. And I want you to see the little bit we know about John the Baptist. We don't know much about him other than how he lived and what he ate and what he wore. This is all we know. The clothes he wore, what he ate and what he probably looked like. Look at John the Baptist, verse 5. Chapter 1 of Mark, verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And here's the good part. He ate, wild, uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. How many would like to have that diet in wardrobe? They say that the most common thing to a, uh, a camel skin that we could have would be like a potato sack, like a burlap sack. Do you remember how we used to get those at the store, a potato sack? Anybody seen those potato sack race? Okay, so imagine cutting a little hole, little arms. You're wearing that. Little belt, okay? So it's a little dainty, I guess. But they did that back then. Guys and Romans wore dresses up to here. So that's what they're wearing. And then what does he eat? Locusts and wild honey. So the first thing that we learn is that John the Baptist is the preparer, the forerunner for Jesus. What's the second thing that we learn? Is that he was set apart for the Lord. You see, the Bible says that he came out of the wilderness. You know what John the Baptist teaches us? is that when God wants to prepare you for great things, He'll separate you from everybody else and have you do weird things. I know it sounds funny, but I'm being honest. When I was going to start this church, I was resigned for three months from my job. You know what the Lord had me do? Ride my bike to the lakefront every day. That's weird for a pastor. What are you doing that for? You know what? Because I was riding my bike, God was speaking to me, and I was praying. You see, every great ministry, every great leader is going to come out of that time of preparation. And what God is doing is He's taking away all of the things that man would want to have in your life, and He's wanting to bring to you His signature. And so when John the Baptist, ta comes out of the wilderness, that dude don't look like anybody else. 
And you see, I could take that example for myself. When the Lord said, now you start this church, if you looked at Metro Praise, you'd say, this does not look like any other church. Why? Because God had me praying in different ways. God had me riding my bike. God had me visiting people. I was doing things in that type of a wilderness. So number two, we see that God sets apart His prophet, John the Baptist, and he comes out doing the most crazy things. And by the way, they actually say, because I've studied this, that people would eat this at a regular habit or a diet. So it wasn't as strange as we would think it would be. They would take the honey, use it as oil, kind of like an olive oil, get it all nice and hot, and fry the locusts in there. So if you ever want to try it, that's how you prepare it. I guess it's good. Okay. Now, look at verse 1. I'm having fun today. Can you tell? Amen. You guys have spoiled me. Come on. I'm having a good time. Now, look at number 3. What was his message? Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was written, Isaiah, the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice calling, a one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. What was John's message? Get ready for God. Get ready for the Lord. Could you imagine that? 400 years, no prophets. 400 years, no Bible. 400 years, no Shikabumba. Everything we take for granted here, they didn't have. And all of a sudden, here comes this burly guy, you know, eating on locusts, wild honey. He's like, get ready, everybody. Jesus is coming. How many would just say, dude, put that trucker back in his big rig and send him down back to Bama? Come on. I mean, you would think that that is crazy. That's what he did. He came out of the wilderness eating wild honey. The guy was crazy. And he's telling everybody, I'm here to get you ready for Jesus. I want you to think to yourself, what do you think people think about us? How radical do you think we look to this world? 2,000 years have passed by, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I want to make the applications after I give you all the descriptions. But I want you to think about this. People think we're crazy. We're going out on the streets preaching, hey, Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. And don't you think they probably look at us just like they looked at John the Baptist? Sure, we're not eating wild uh, honey and and locusts, and we're not wearing a camel skin, but we look crazy to them having a bullhorn, going out to Boricua Fest. People thought that same way about John the Baptist. But what was his message? Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, move on to number four and learn why he was called John the Baptist. Number four, he preached repentance and baptism. Look at verse four of Mark chapter one. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Everybody say baptism of repentance. Okay, so for those of you who thought John the Baptist, the Baptist was his last name, it wasn't, okay? That would be like Joe the preacher, Joe the singer, Ish the guitar player. What Baptist is doing in the form of his name is teaching you. What did he do? What John? You know how we have a lot of guys in town. It's like, John. Ah, John, who was that? John with the funny nose. You know John. You know what I'm saying? How many you know what I'm talking about? You got Paco. What Paco? Paco with the funny hair or the big guy, small guy. You know, there was a lot of Johns in those days. There was. John was a popular name, just like it is today. How would you distinguish John from all the other Johns? This was the one that was baptizing. And what was his baptism for? A baptism of repentance. Now, I want you to go with me to Matthew. And by the way, we're just hopping back and forth from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, learning all about John the Baptist. I want you to see what sins he would hit on. 
Listen to some of his messages and how awesome this brother is. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, talking about John the Baptist, looking at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came in preaching in the desert of Judea. And what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There, This is he who was spoken of to the prophet Isaiah. One, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. Verse 4 tells you about what he's wearing and what he's doing. Now go to verse 7. Watch this. If you think your pastor can preach it, man, look at this brother right here. Wild hocus, locust, and honey breath. You know, you know, wearing what he was wearing. Look what he said. But when many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You nice guys, I just wish you would try a little harder. <laughs> Did he say, you cute guys, you're so cool, let's just work on this together. What did he say? You brought of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. His message was tight, but it was right. And he told it as a T.I. is, as it is. He said, hey, who told you to come out here? You look like a viper and you are a broad of vipers. He said, God will cut down your tree if you do not bear good fruit. You might say, Pastor, that's intense. That's intense. Well, hello. Understand what he was there to do. He is there to prepare the way for Jesus. He wants people to see Jesus when he comes and worship and love him. He doesn't want the people to have sin in their heart. Oh, Lord, help me. Go with me now to um, Luke again. I wanted you to hear that. Luke uh, records a little bit more. Look at Luke and look at some of the other things that he says. It only gets better. Look at your neighbor and say, it only gets better. Praise the Lord. Looking at Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, taking off from right where we left off. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, 3 verse 7 of Luke, You brought of vipers who warned you free from the wrath. Okay, he says all that. Now look at verse 10. What should we do then, the crowd said? See, the crowd is hearing John preach, and, and he's telling them, man, you ain't right with God. You're not living right. And they say, what should we do? And listen to what he says, and tell me if this doesn't bring conviction to you. John answered, the man who has two tunics or two jackets should share with those who have none. And the one who has food should do the same. How many does that kind of convict a little bit? How many have more than two jackets in their closet right now? See, John said, hello, I'm going to check you right where you're at right now. He says, you got more than one jacket in your closet, you're being greedy. Start giving stuff out. He says, you know what? You're living for yourself. He says, if you've got more food than you need right here, hello, give it out. That's what he started preaching. Listen to his message. It's repentance. It's, it's live holy and it's give stuff away. Then look at verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? What does he say to them? Verse 13. Don't collect any more than you are required, he told them. So what does he tell the tax collector? Stop stealing. These guys were like the IRS taking the money, you know. And he says, hey, stop stealing. If you want to live right, stop stealing. And some soldiers asked him, some policemen. Here we go. Some Chicago's finest. Any up in here? Uh, just Ricky? <laughs> this is like, what should we do? Stop pulling people over and messing with them. No. This is what he says. What should we do? Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. 
Be content with your pay. How many would like to be around at this time and hear John the Baptist preaching like that? Man, I would say, tell it, John the Baptist. Come on, tell him. Tell him to give it away. Tell that police officer to stop pulling me over in Humble Park because I just ran that stoplight and he thinks I'm bad because I'm in a bad neighborhood. Tell him it ain't me, John. Tell him. Now look, the people were waiting expectantly with all their hearts and wonder if John might possibly be the Christ. And then what does he say? I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I am coming. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now just imagine this. You're watching John. And John is like playing in the water. He's splashing it. He's dipping you in the water. And then he says, hey, I baptize you with this, but you see that bonfire over there? That's what you're going to get baptized in when Jesus comes. Come on, let's not be so spiritually minded. Could you imagine being around at that time? You just got in the water with John. You just got dunked in. You're feeling kind of good. And then he points to the fire and he says, that's what you're getting baptized in next. That's what you're, you're going right in there, man. You're like, I ain't going to do it. He's like, yeah, that's what you're going to get baptized with. Get ready, put the gasoline. What was he saying? The fire was the Holy Spirit. And if you see, it actually clarifies, but I like looking at it that way. I am not worried to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the what? Holy Spirit and with fire. But I think there was probably a few like me there going, whoa, (laughs) water's cool, John. Water's just fine, man. But you know what, John the Baptist? Go through those points with me now. Number one was the voice, the preparation of Jesus coming. Number two, he had a message. Somebody shout out, what was number, no, number three was he had a message. What's number two? Set apart. Thank you. Went out into the wilderness. He, he was a man sent to prepare the way. He was set apart. Number three, he had a message. And that message was the baptism for repentance. And number four, he baptized Jesus. Could you imagine this honor? Imagine this honor. I mean, come on, somebody. I'm not talking about you just slapping Jesus high five. I'm talking about us having, an, not an altar call, Lord forgive me, don't want to get distracted on for blasphemy here, but imagine us saying, who needs prayer? And Jesus coming up going, hey man, I need some prayer. He sees Jesus come into the water. And Jesus says, you've got to baptize me. Now, what's the first thing that would go in your mind? The only reason why you're getting baptized is because you got sin. That's the whole thing that John's been preaching. Repent. Get right with God. Live holy. And then here comes Jesus. Do you think Jesus has sin? No. Let's learn why he still needed to baptize Jesus. Look at verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying from heaven. Uh, he was, and when he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit dis, dis, uh, descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Now go to Matthew, and I'm going to show you why he was uh, baptized by John. Jesus tells him why he needed to be baptized. And then get ready for some application points to us today. And thank you for letting me do this for what my school required, but also a great lesson to you. Going back to Matthew chapter 3, listen to what Jesus says. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Hello. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by, by you. And do you come to me? So what's going on? Now listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Oh, my Lord, I could preach all day about the humility of Jesus Christ. Do you know that some people can't even be told one thing what to do? Some people can't even stay in a 201 class and act right. We have sometimes people leaving our discipleship classes 101. Don't tell me nothing. Here, Jesus, Jesus says, John, you baptize me. Why? Because i got to fulfill righteousness. What does that mean? For Jesus to come and be the Lamb of God, He had to be in every way like a man, yet without sin. So if man needed to be baptized, He needed to be baptized. If man needed to eat, He needed to eat. If man needed to use the bathroom, listen, He used the bathroom. And that messes with people, especially Muslims. They're like, you're saying God, the holy God of the universe, went number two, stinky in the bathroom? Yeah! Uh, yeah, he had to. He, it's not like he came out like, oh, wow, it smells like roses in here, Jesus. What's going on? Pooping out roses. You're like, Pastor, I can't believe you're saying that. But I'm being honest with you. People think he used number two and he smelled like roses. When Jesus got done doing his business, the disciples were like, wow. Why? Because he was a man everywhere like us. How are men? I have best on my check. When this gets out the bathroom, it don't smell like roses. Hello, and I know sometimes with the bathroom being there that close, it is dangerous. Sometimes there's another ghost coming in here. It ain't the Holy Ghost. It just settles on the crowd, and that's when you see somebody running around, Ichabod, with the, uh, the spray and all of that. Save us, Lord. But back to the serious point. The serious point was Jesus was a man. The Bible even goes on to say Jesus was tempted. You say, well, I know Jesus was tempted by the devil. No, the Bible says Jesus lived a life of temptation. That means, men, listen to me. This is not to mock Jesus. If anybody loves Jesus, I love him. But listen, that means, men, when a pretty woman walks by and a thought comes in your mind, think of her undressed lust. Jesus had those same thoughts. But the Bible says he never gave in to them. You see, the Bible says when you undress the woman and you look at her in lust, then that's sin. You don't think Jesus ever wanted to slap somebody upside the head? The Bible says He was tempted in all ways. That means there had to be times when Jesus had somebody talking crazy. He's like, man, I'm not ready to take a lightning bolt and whoop your behind. But help me, Father. Uh, you don't believe me. Look at Jesus before He was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying tears and sweats of blood. Stress will make you even do that, they say. Medically, it can happen. He's under stress. And what does He say? Oh, I'm ready to go. This is going to be fun and easy. No, He says, Father, if there's any possible way, don't let this body be crucified. He says, but nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will. So when you get this idea of Jesus, Jesus came down as God and he operated like Superman. No, you miss the point of the incarnation. God became man, yet without sin. So that means if Jesus could turn his head away from lust, we can. That means if Jesus did not get angry, we can. That means if Jesus was kind when people mistreated him, we can. Because where did his power and authority come from? The Holy Spirit. Come on. And it came from his father. He said, man, I I don't do anything unless the father gives me the ability. And so that's why when he came to John, he said, John, they've got to see that I've come as a man. Even though Jesus gets worship, even though Jesus is Jesus, come on, he still said, I've got to be baptized. How much more should we do that? But look at John's perspective now. You want to talk about a guy who could get a fat head? Hey, guys, you, you will not believe who I baptized today. Who would you baptize, John? I baptized the Messiah. 
this guy. I, I baptized him. I took him. How'd you do it, John? I took him down slow. Come on, don't you think in his mind, he thought like, dude, I just baptized Jesus. But you know what was great about John? Is as you go now to the book of John. Now don't get John, go with me to the book of John. Chapter 3, don't think the book of John is written by John the Baptist. The book of John is written by John the Apostle. I want you to look at now number 5, the greatest thing you'll ever see about John the Baptist. is that he understood he had to decrease for Jesus to increase. That's why I don't think he was that prideful, but I bet you he was excited, man. And some of you all don't know this, but did you know that Peter and his brother Andrew and that James and John were disciples of John before they were disciples of Jesus? I'll show you that another time if you want to see it. But go to John chapter 3. At the end of this whole um, discourse on being born again, it begins to talk about John the Baptist. Go to John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Adionin near Silom because there was plenty of water. People were consistently coming to be baptized. So here you see that after Jesus gets baptized by John, there's a time where John and when Jesus are doing ministry together. And you know how I look at it? You ever watch the Olympics or the relay races? They're running on track. When that guy is handing the baton, the other guy doesn't just stop and go, give me the baton. Do you ever see that they start a way back and they run? They run together. Do you all understand what I'm talking about? They run together. And then when that's handed, then the other one goes off and runs. What you're seeing right here is John the Baptist. He's running and Jesus comes and there's a time only for about maybe six months where they actually run together. John the Baptist is finishing up his ministry. He's about ready to be beheaded. Sad but true. And Jesus is starting his ministry. And at this time, somebody said, hey, Jesus is now baptizing more people than you. Now look at verse 25. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew of the of the uh, the matter of ceremonial washings, and it talks all about why they shouldn't wash. But look at verse 27. To this John replied, A man can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourself can testify, I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. Here you go. Listen right here, baby. He must become greater and I must become what? So what made John the Baptist so awesome? That he said, you know what? Jesus is going to become greater and I'm going to become less. Another way of saying is more of him and less of me. And as you continue to read, it says the one who comes from above is greater than the one who comes from this earth. Now, let's look over these points and let's apply these things to our life. Number one, John was a forerunner. Go to Matthew chapter 28 and see what you're a forerunner of. Matthew chapter 28. If you guys need some help, just say, help me. If you're ready for me to preach it, say, preach it. Okay, there we go. I was going to help you if you needed it. Here's the application now. John the Baptist was a forerunner for the first coming of Jesus. Matter of fact, go to Acts. I don't have time to read them all, but I'd rather if I'm going to give you just one, let me give you Acts. Chapter 1. Matthew chapter 28. It's going to all the world and make disciples. But let me give you Acts. I think it will say a lot better for today. Acts chapter 1. John 
promised that Jesus would baptize in the Holy Ghost and fire. Acts 1.5 For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Judah, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guys, everyone look up at me, please. Come on, congregation, brothers and sisters, hear me. Malachi said, This is going to be a great day of destruction. That day of the Lord is going to be painful on some. They're going to be the stubble in the fire of the Lord. And then the others are going to be leaping like calves let out of the barn. Okay, that's what it's going to be like. He says, but before that day comes, John the Baptist is going to come. What they did not understand is that after John the Baptist would then come 2,000 years of the history we're living in called the Age of Grace. Everybody say grace. You see, the Jewish people did not understand that Jesus was going to come through his his disciples and win the world. Y'all looking at me like you ain't excited. Do you know that we are in the last seconds of the last minute of the last day? Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at the first disciple preaching. Peter's the first Christian to preach his first message on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17, chapter 2, Acts. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Somebody say, Fuego! That's where we are right now. And it's been going on the last days. But look what comes next. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Do you understand that we are now preparing the second coming? The second coming? Get excited. The second coming! We are the forerunners. And this time, I'm getting a little excited now. Instead of it being one John the Baptist and one Elijah, it is a John the Baptist generation. It is a group of believers, the church, preparing the way for Jesus. You think you and I are alone? There's over a billion Christians, over a half a billion, 500 million, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled believers, and they're taking over China. We're taking over Brazil and Latin America. The glory of God is coming. Why? Because we're telling the people, get ready, Jesus is coming back. As surely as He came the first time, He's coming back. And He's not coming back like Dito Jesus in the manger. He's coming as a conquering king, riding a high horse. Come on, I'm excited about that. It's going to be a terrifying day for those that are on the wrong side. You better live for God. But for us, come on, I'm going to be like that calf let out the stall. Look at me. Jesus, I'm going to be dancing. Come on. The Bible said I'll leap like a calf. Don't hate, appreciate, celebrate. Come on. You and I are a part of this last generation. 2,000 years the church has been preaching. He's coming back. He's coming back. He eventually is going to come back, people. You might say, well, that's a long time. John the Baptist waited 400 years just for him to come. And you say, well, what happened before that? Do you know that from Abraham around 1,000, or rather 4,000 B.C., Abraham is part of one of the oldest remnants of culture we have back then in Mesopotamia. 4,000 B.C., God said, I myself will send the Lamb. Do you know that they technically waited 4,000 years for Jesus to come the first time? 
The Bible says a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years to the day. So according to God, it only took four days for Him to come the first time. And now we're at 2,000. It's only been two days. So you think, well, it's been a long time. And God, He's just like, oh, it's just the weekend. I'll be there. I'm gonna, I'll start work on Monday. I'm just taking the weekend off. I mean, you know, you get what I'm saying? This is nothing to God. We're in the last generation. Somebody say, prepare. Now go to First Peter for set apart. Somebody say, I'm set apart. You see, you cannot live the same as everybody else. God always takes His people and sets them apart. When I first started in ministry in New Orleans, God said, you know what? No TV or movies for you. All the young people look up at me. God took TV and just pulled it right out of my mouth like a nunny. It was like a bobo. Listen to me. I couldn't watch it no more. He said, no more movies. I didn't even watch Bambi. Didn't even watch it. You know why? Because this is what God said. I want to prepare you. God said, I don't want any of the world in you. I didn't date for three years. Somebody say, have mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You know why I had to do that? Because I had so much stinking thinking from my world as a player from back in the day. Because it's hard out here for a pimp. That's how I used to live. I know you can't believe that this gentleman and scholar up here would live that way. But I was a dirty dog. Wow, wow, wow. You be, I'm telling you, I was a dog. And God said, hey, go out to the desert. And I'm going to tell you when you can come out. All my friends would be dating. And I'd be like, he says, you're still a dog. You can't date yet. God had to take the dog out of me for three years. I thought I was a bachelor to the rapture. I am serious. I was watching, my friends got six kids right now, y'all. Six. That's, that's how long ago they started. They're like, done, we're done. We don't have any more kids. I'm just getting started. I had to wait a long time. No movies, no TV. You know why? Because God said, I want you to be like John the Baptist. How many of you, when you got saved, God told you to give up some stuff? Come on, how many of you couldn't go back to the same club? How many of you couldn't go back to the same friends? Couldn't post the same song on MySpace? Couldn't hang out? Some of y'all just say, no, I'm doing the same thing. You ain't right. Get out. Because the rest of us have left some stuff behind. And to them, we look like we eating locusts and wild honey. People thought I was crazy. I don't watch a movie. What's wrong with you? Yes, I don't watch movies. I just pray. I'm sorry. I hang out with the God of the universe. I know it's kind of boring. I would really have to talk to people. They're like, you don't watch any TV? I'm like, no, I hang out with God. My friends, what have you given up for God? And is it worth it? John the Baptist gave up clothes. John the Baptist gave up a diet. And it was for God. If you're in First Peter, somebody say, I'm there. Go now to chapter 3. First Peter talks about us being a holy generation, a holy priesthood. Being people, rather, chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9, First Peter. But you are a chosen people. Was John the Baptist chosen? Yes, he was. You are chosen. Somebody say, I'm chosen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, you can't be like everybody else. The Bible says that you are a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a gente, but now you are the gente of Dios. Hallelujah. Once you received not mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you to live as aliens, man, as strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires. Desires which war against your soul. You are an alien. I'm not talking about an illegal alien, la migra. Listen to me, man. 
You are like from outer space. Because you are spiritual. You know what I'm saying? People look at you and you're like, you're so spiritual. I don't like you. Yes, I'm spiritual. I don't want to live like the mutts and the dogs down here. I want to live like angels up there. I don't want to watch pornography. That's gross. Ah, makes me puke. I don't want to fight. I don't want to be gross. Why? Because we're aliens down here. Praise God. John the Baptist knew what it was like to be different, to be separated, and he was okay with it. I want to encourage all of you here to be separate, to be different for Jesus Christ. And in closing, let's go to the message. I'm not going to keep you here all day. Let's just go to the message. Go now with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance. So if you would have came to John the Baptist and said, Hey man, what do I got to do to be right? He would say, Repent of your sins. Give away your clothes. Help with the poor. Don't steal. And get down here in the liquid grave and get baptized. Now, we are baptized after we're saved as Christians, but we're not baptized to be saved. Everybody understand the difference? I want to say it again. When I am saved, then I get baptized. I do not get baptized to get saved. you get it? I could take a pig, put Stacy Adams on it, sprinkle cologne, and baptize it in some water. Guess what, I, what it's going to be after I do all that? A pig, okay? So we're not saying that you can be baptized and be saved. You will still be a sinner. But if you come by grace and by faith and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved, you'll be saved like the thief on the cross was. Amen? That's a beautiful message about Jesus and the thief. He's dying. Jesus still had his heart on that one right there. And the man said, hey, will you remember me in paradise? And he said, yes, surely this day you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. He didn't go to church. He didn't do any religious thing, but he accepted Christ. That's the heart of salvation. Amen? Now, if you happen to not be dying on the cross and you're going to live for a little bit longer, yes, then you learn to obey Christ. You get baptized. You go to church. You speak in tongues. You do all that fun stuff. Amen? Now, listen to our message, though. His message was baptism. Look what our message is. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18, starting in verse 17. Starting in verse 17 to 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Uh Uh-oh. Paul, what's wrong with you? I thought you were supposed to do what John did. No, 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 no. Listen. He did not send me to baptize, but to preach the what? The gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message, somebody say the message of the cross, come on, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is the message we preach today, brothers and sisters? The message of the cross, the power of God. And yes, you will get baptized. But my message to you is not, hey, let's all get baptized and go on with your life. No, let the power of the cross change you. Let it rearrange you. Let it crucify who you used to be and make you who you never could be. You say, he loves me just as I am. Yes, he does. And he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He wants to take you from just who you are to just who he is. And how does that happen? From the B.C., the days you were without Christ, to the A.D., you have Christ. What separates time? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. You should be able to say, I've met Jesus, and there are things that are now changed in my life. I came to Him depressed, but I walked away happy. I came to Him addicted, but I walked away free. I came to Him in depression, but I walked away full of joy. I came to Him lonely, but now I have a friend. And what makes that happen? The cross. If you believe in what you stand to your feet, embrace the Lord. Thank you for your cross today. Come on, bless God today. We thank you for our cruise. And remember, as a Christian, Bond would you come? 
Today, John the Baptist is a model to us, a model of how to live a life preparing for Jesus. Did we have fun today in the message? Absolutely. If I offended you, I'm sorry. It wasn't the intent. I wanted you to hear a message today that I brought to a class and got a grade on, and I wanted to give it to you with all my heart. And that message is very simple. Be like John the Baptist. Come on, people. We're living in the last days. We need to see a John the Baptist generation. Psalms 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not sworn deceitfully or lifted his soul to an idol. And listen to what it says next. And he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. This is the generation of those who seek your face. Do you know that God is looking for a generation of John the Baptist? You might say, well, I'm a little shy. Well, it's time to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're going to get radical. You might say, well, sometimes, Pastor, I don't have the right words to say. Can you come up with viper? If you can come up with that, you can preach. You like talking to your friend. I just don't know what to say to you anymore. Ah, you're viper. (laughs) Repent. How does that sound? I'm just trying to be like John the Baptist. I'm being honest, guys. Let's be radical. When you leave this earth, what's going to be said about you? Put up Matthew 11, 11 in closing, please. John the Baptist was beheaded. You know how he was beheaded? Because he came to a governor, Herod, King Herod. And that man had taken his brother's wife. He was having an affair with his sister-in-law. Before Maury, before Spring Hill, it was bad, people. Nothing new under the sun. Never get that twisted up here. Nothing new. It's all been done before. John the Baptist sees the king take his brother's wife and act like nothing's a, nothing's a big deal. He goes and he preaches to him, repent. You're an adulterer. You're a whoremonger. And you know what the king does? He arrests him. Then he puts John in jail. And John's in jail. And the king fears God and won't even kill him. Then one day, the daughter of the woman that that man is married to starts dancing for the king. And he's a perverted man. You already know that because he took his sister-in-law for a wife. He watches his daughter-in-law, which is now his daughter, dancing. And he says to her, I'll give you anything you want. And she goes to her mom and says, what should I ask for? What should I ask for? And you know what? She hated John the Baptist so much. She said, ask him to bring John the Baptist's head on a platter. And that's how John the Baptist died, for righteousness. And after he died, Jesus says these words, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. How would you like that to be said about you? Of all the people born in Chicago, there's nobody greater than Ish. Nobody greater than Andrew. Nobody greater than Tammy. She prays. Nobody more of a servant that holds the lead. Oh, he gives it his all. He comes early, stays late. Nobody sees him, but he works hard. But now look what it says. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So do you know that what John the Baptist died for, you and I now have? John the Baptist died watching Jesus come to this earth. He never even saw the cross. He died for that. Now we are at the other point of history. We're looking back. He was looking forward. We're looking back. And the Bible now says, if you're in the kingdom, 
you can be even greater than John. Why? Because John never knew the Holy Spirit like we do. John never saw the dead raised. But there's Christians seeing the dead raised. John never saw nations saved, but we're seeing nations saved. Right now, Heidi Baker and Iris Ministries planted 10,000 churches in Africa. That's what it's talking about. You and I, who have gotten saved right here, we've spoken tongues. We've felt the Holy Ghost come upon us so strong. He never did that. He was only filled to preach, but he never had that relationship of worship towards God. So I want to ask you a question. Are you going to let John, 2,000 years ago, take all of what God said you could be, and and he's the only one? Oh, that's good for John, but uh, you know, I'm cool. Are you going to take what Jesus said? Hey, you said John was great, but I'm the least, and I can be greater than him? What do I have to do, Jesus? For from the days of John the Baptist until now. So when John the Baptist rolled out until now, we can still say now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful men lay hold of it. Let's pray. Father, I pray for some John the Baptist spirits to raise up in this place. By the Holy Ghost, give us the tenacity to preach like a man who preached on the Jordanian seaside. Give us, oh God, preparation like you did with him, God. Separate us, Lord, from a world that's already going to hell anyway. God, let us get radical for you. God, you might call somebody here to pray at four in the morning just to get separated. Come on, Jesus. Do it again, Lord. God, I pray today that you fill our hearts with a message. A message of repentance and change for this generation. God, so that when you come here, a people have been prepared for you. I'm going to ask you right now, before we leave out of here, pray for three people right now. You can be John the Baptist too. Come on, who are you going to be John the Baptist too, friend? A lot of people are going to play Halloween, you know, dress up Halloween. Come on, you can be a John the Baptist right now. You don't have to dress up, but who are you going to be John the Baptist too? Who are you going to preach to this week? Who are you going to warn about God's judgment to? Come on. Three people right now all across this place. Come on, John the Baptist raising up. John the Baptist raising up. Lord, use us. Use our teenagers in the high schools. Use our adults on their jobs and in their families. Come on, use me with my neighbors, Lord. You know, the one thing about John the Baptist is you never had to guess where he stood on things. Come on, if there's some people in your life and they don't really know where you stand on things, you need to stand up like John the Baptist. Don't compromise. Stand up, be counted, say, no, I don't do that because of the Lord. I won't drink grape juice because God told me not to. Come on, that's what John had to tell people. Come on, let's pray for a church to raise up in this place. 30 more seconds before we go out these doors. Come on, put on some some, uh, camel skin today. Stand out today. Jesus, you're going to walk out to a world that's going to tell you wrong is right. And they're going to tell you right is wrong. Come on, you've got to stand up to them today in love and passion and, and concern.